Welcome back to the Global Quick Influence Podcast. I'm Panagiotta Pimenidou. To be up to date with news from the Global Quick Influence Podcast and suggest your topics, subscribe, like, and review the Global Quick Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Amazon Music, and four more podcasting platforms. You can contact the Global Quick Influence through the podcast, Facebook, and Twitter accounts, the podcast website, globalquickinfluence.com and LinkedIn page. Throughout the past three years, we had the privilege to listen to experts across various sectors of today's world, marking the path toward our futures. In a heavily driven technological world, academia and research set our frontiers. Energy and medicine are undoubtedly the pillars to our well-being. Clean energy, groundbreaking healthcare, and renewable fuels beyond what the industry sets to do in the next decade are top learning moments from their creators whom have hosted. Onshore wind farms and utility-scale photovoltaic systems and their technologies become more mature, cost-competitive, and as a consequence have promising market potential. The drop in the investment cost of onshore wind systems and photovoltaics boosts the hydrogen economy and its technologies market penetration as electricity will be produced from renewable energy sources. However, Europe is densely populated and has high energy demand, a case that might be applicable to other geographical regions worldwide. Population density means that available and suitable land for onshore wind farms and photovoltaics becomes limited, which prohibits the renewable energy generation expansion in many countries, especially in those of Europe. Offshore renewable power production can become an alternative to onshore wind farms as long as we ensure that offshore wind technologies become cost competitive. So what is the solution? To change the design and materials of wind energy generation systems when most industries have invested in their production. An obvious solution for offshore wind farms performance is harvesting from even better wind sources. But could we leave it to the forces of nature? Yakovos Janakis, professor in engineering materials in the School of Engineering, Computing and Mathematics at Oxford Brookes University in England, spoke to the Global Quick Influence podcast about the most immediate, viable, and cheap solution for the current challenges offshore wind energy faces. According to Professor Janakis, vertical axis wind turbines farms can become mainstream in wind power generation based on the research article Numerical Modeling and Optimization of Vertical Axis Wind Turbine Pairs, a Scale-Up Approach, in the peer-reviewed scientific journal Renewable Energy, also covered in Forbes. Vertical Axis Wind Turbines Pairs was a research that took place at Oxford Brookes University, part of a final year project by an undergraduate student. That research assessed the feasibility of large-scale vertical axis wind turbines farms using an array of synergetic parameters such as array angle, direction of rotation, turbine spacing, and number of turbines in series important for their design and optimization. Research showed that vertical axis wind turbines extracted more energy in wind farms than when operating in isolation. The results showed up to 15% greater efficiencies. Wind farms today are made using the classic propeller design, and these are called horizontal axis wind turbines because they spin around an axis parallel to the ground. 
The biggest disadvantage of horizontal axis wind turbines is that they decrease each other's performance when grouped together in wind farms. A wake is created downstream and this turbulent wake is detrimental to the performance of the turbine. In other words, it is a compromise when installing wind turbines for a wind farm because you want to group them together within a finite size of an area and at the same time, you know that the more you group them together, the worse efficiency you're going to have. The performance reduction can be up to 40% in some instances. So if you pay £2 million per megawatt for a single wind turbine, you want to maximize the energy extracted. The last two decades, all the research funding has gone to horizontal axis wind turbines as they had more momentum in their marketing campaign. However, according to Professor Zanakis, horizontal axis wind turbines are super expensive to maintain as all the moving parts sit 200 meters up in the air. So you need to sail out a large crane to replace, for example, the gearbox or other faulty components. This is such a costly operation that you wait until several wind turbines in a wind farm have failed before sailing out the crane. There is a period of time where some of the horizontal axis wind turbines are just standing still and waiting for the others to fail so that they can get repaired. With the vertical axis wind turbines, all the vital components are located near sea level. Thus, they have much easier to service and they do not require as big of a crane to replace parts. One of the few disadvantages about vertical axis wind turbines is that they may have some starting problems, as in, depending on the design, they may need a little push to get going as the blades at low velocities do not develop enough torque to overcome the initial frictional forces. The goal is not to replace horizontal axis wind turbines. The aim is to promote and speed up the green transition in the renewable energy sector. One may consider having smaller vertical axis wind turbines in the spacing between horizontal axis wind turbines as the vertical axis wind turbines can better utilize the turbulent air to generate electricity and in that way we utilize the regions already covered by wind turbines much better. For the general public, due to moving parts of the vertical axis wind turbines being located near sea level, then it is much easier to design floating platforms. So the vertical axis wind turbines can be positioned in deep sea regions where the wind conditions are more generous and be less visually polluting. Vertical axis wind turbines are easier to install and therefore they can promote the shift in green energy to remote locations where horizontal axis wind turbines or solar cells are not a viable solution. Utility, justice and respect for people are three foundational ethical principles that create a framework for the equitable allocation of scarce organs for transplantation. In many patients' case, it is not only the shortage of organs vital to their life and well-being, also matching and compatibility of the transplant. Such a scarcity gave birth to human embryonic stem cell research, which is ethically and politically controversial because it involves the destruction of human embryos. But additive manufacturing offers a more ethical alternative, according to Dr. Maria Kitsara, as the vivo part of creating an organ is entirely skipped. 
Dr. Maria Kitsara is an expert in developing materials and devices using micro and nanofabrication for biomedical applications, including in vitro diagnostics, IVG diseases diagnosis, and therapy. I asked Maria how additive manufacturing could create the best engineered transplants while overcoming the ethical issues of human-induced stem cells. According to Dr. Kitsara, not all the human stem cells raise ethical issues, The new era of the human-induced pluripotent stem cells, thus avoiding the embryonic ones, solves the controversy over the destruction of embryos in embryonic stem cell research. Additive manufacturing techniques are considered as the most cutting-edge manufacturing technologies to produce patient-specific implants based on a layer-wise method. The technology has entered the world of medicine through 3D printed devices like prosthetics and surgical instruments, and researchers are now testing out bio-ink as a way of printing vital organs, bones, and cartilage. Printing body parts may well be the next step in organ transplantation, harvesting stem cells from a transplant recipient and printing them into a replacement organ could help bypass complications associated with organ transplant, such as long waits for a suitable donor or immune rejection of the new organ. One of the biomimetics application areas is what is called organ-on-a-chip, practically an artificial organ which, with the help of a three-dimensional microfluidic cell culture chip multi-channel, simulates the mechanisms and response of entire organs and organ systems. Dr. Kizara also sees some difficulties in the future of biomedical materials engineering since the challenges go together with the advancements in the field of biomaterials and manufacturing methods, such as additive manufacturing or 3D printing. Biocompatibility of fabricated materials is the biggest challenge for successful implantation. In 3D printing, one of the most noticeable examples is its use for fabricating 3D surgical planning models, where a printed organ was fabricated as a guide for surgeons to identify and resolve problems and malfunctions before surgery. Dr. Kizara also gave an example when 3D printing was used in heart surgery, creating a replica of the patient's heart for the precise understanding of the anatomy, hands-on simulation of surgical and interventional procedures, and morphology teaching of the medical professionals. The challenge was if they could achieve to fabricate all functional organs in the future. What engineering and science do today is to mimic nature and its processes based on our knowledge and means advancements to interpret and reapply this knowledge in different areas of our lives. Biomimicking is as engineering nature through the study of nature a natural phenomena to understand the principles of underlying mechanisms to obtain ideas from nature and to apply concepts that may benefit science, engineering, and medicine. Biomimicry can lead to more accurate models, as mentioned before, in the field of tissue engineering and organ-on-a-chip systems. So, in the case of 3D printing tissues or organs, we try to recapitulate in vitro physiological structure of a tissue or organ could lead to more precise results in biology and medicine. Also, in the case of engineering, hydropower biomimicking nature takes a different form. Michael Bernitzas, a professor of naval architecture and marine engineering and a professor of mechanical engineering at the University of Michigan, Arn Arbor, a startup engineering company, Vortex Hydro Energy, where he acts as chief technology officer, spoke of how mimicking the movement of schools of fish 
led to the bladeless Vivace, a sustainable hydropower energy technology, high power density, and what the significant advantage of Vivace over the existing hydro turbines are. Professor Bernitza said that turbines with rotors and blades and Vivace with oscillating cylinders harness horizontal marine hydrokinetic energy from ocean currents, tides, and rivers. We find vertical hydrokinetic energy in waves. He stresses that no technology is perfect, there are pros and cons, and gives a quick comparison. The vast majority of currents around the world is slower than 1.5 meters per second. Typical rivers are slower than 1 meter per second. There are only seven sites in the United States where currents are faster than 2 meters per second, which is the minimum threshold for financial viability of turbines. In the lab, Vivace has harnessed energy from flows as slow as 0.2 meters per second. There is no upper limit as the underlying physics of Vivace is scalable from tiny fishnet filaments to big buildings and beyond. Fish move in water by altering lift generated by body undulation. On the other hand, birds and airplanes fly on constant lift on wings. Water is a dense medium and fish know better how to swim. Vivace mimics fish dynamics without the complexity of their body kinematics. High speed of blade tips of windmill kills birds in air. In water tips of large turbine blades also move at high speeds and may even cavitate, generating noise. Vivace bladeless technology with an oscillating cylinder moves about 20 to 40% faster than the incident flow, which do not present danger to people or fish. A powerful research outcome is that Vivace cylinders can work synergistically, generating more power in schools than they would in isolation. As a result, instead of requiring large distance between oscillators like turbines do, they are deployed in compact configuration. So power density is higher. Low power density is the Achilles heel of any renewable energy technology compared to fossil fuels. At equivalent flow speed, a farm of Vivace has about 40,000 to 60,000 times the power density of wind farms, still though two to three orders of magnitude below diesel engines. Professor Bernitzas thinks that the greatest advantage of Vivace is that it has the potential of being used symbiotically with fish. They relax and spawn more in the vertical flows in the wakes of cylinders. Most rewarding is the acceptance of this technology by communities in the places where Professor Bernitzas and his team have conducted field tests. According to Professor Bernitzas, what will make hydropower sustainable for human and aquatic life is based on the three pillars of sustainability, planet, profits, people. If one of these pillars is missing, hydropower will not survive. Professor Benitza said even though he might be biased toward hydropower turbines are getting most of the attention and funding in harnessing hydrokinetic energy. Turbines can be dangerous to people and marine life due to sharp blades, high-speed cavitation noise and size. Professor Greg Stefanopoulos, the Willard Henry Doe Professor of Chemical Engineering and Biotechnology in the School of Chemical Engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, focuses his research on biotechnology and metabolic engineering. His research led to approximately 50 patents. Research in biochemical and metabolic engineering is synergistically shared between chemical engineering and the life sciences. Professor Stefanopoulos spoke of the contributions of chemical engineers to biochemical and metabolic engineering. In the first days of metabolic engineering, people were asking how this field differed from genetic engineering. 
The answer is that metabolic engineering addresses the whole system in engineering microbes for an application instead of focusing on single genes and enzymes. It is a whole system that needs to work well in order to have an efficient biocatalyst, and this is an area where engineers can contribute because of their mindset and training to deal with the full system. He also spoke of what makes the renewable production of biofuels and industrial biocommodities now a priority to chemical engineering. The sustainable nature of renewable production of biofuels and industrial biocommodities processes make them a priority now. In essence, biotechnology competes with chemistry for the production of various products. The major advantage of biotechnology is that it uses plant-derived feedstocks, which are difficult to convert to products chemically. The manipulation and modification of living organisms for large-scale production of chemicals, making them economically feasible, requires basically two parts. Firstly, good genetic tools to implement genetic changes, which is well developed due to dramatic advances in molecular biology. The other requirement is the identification of the specific gene targets that must be modulated in order to create a better biocatalyst. This is more challenging and the domain of activity of metabolic engineers. Mimicking tissues and organs and fish dynamics, the forces of nature with simplicity and without simplification. Maximizing current technologies for more affordable offshore wind farms where population density is high and there is a shortage of available land. Producing plant-based biofuels non-chemically are some of the learning moments at the Global Cooking Flows podcast. Collaboration between all sectors of the economy should provide all the support they can to the work of researchers at universities and research institutes, which attempt to provide us with all the alternative routes our futures can have. Researchers may speak with modesty, presenting the advantages and disadvantages of their work. This does not mean that their solutions are not beneficial. They are not businessmen or marketers. They have been trained to speak openly of how they can make current technologies better. They show us at what stage they are in the development of technologies that could reach the markets in the next 10 to 20 years even sooner. They produce patents that they do not reach us because some industries might not want to invest in new processes and products as they prefer incremental improvements to their existing products and not real innovation. What researchers need is an equitable approach by funding bodies, technologies, businesses and industries. That is the definition of symbiosis between humans and nature, between the present and the future. Thank you all for staying until the end. Stay tuned for another podcast episode and get notified by subscribing and following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and five more podcasting platforms. Your feedback and suggestions also help us become better. Until next time.